0: Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc, or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Well, today we're kicking off a brand new series, and in light of that, I want to just kind of make a statement that I believe we probably all found ourselves in a moment or maybe a season of life where we felt unwelcomed. Maybe for some of you, uh, maybe it was the rejection of not making the sports team, right? The school sports team back in junior high or high school and you got left out on the outside. Maybe for some of you, it was not being welcomed by a group of friends when you were growing up at school or maybe you're a student right now and you feel kind of on the outside. Or maybe for some of you ladies, you remember back to high school when you did not get asked to the junior or senior prom, and it bummed you out so much. You still remember, like seriously, you still remember some of those feelings. And maybe for some of you, you felt on the outside or rejected when you didn't get that job that you wanted so bad. Or maybe for some of you, it comes down to when you got dumped in a dating relationship that you thought was going to work out and go for the long haul. Or maybe for some of you, maybe it was uh, as real as like, maybe you felt unwelcome to the church that you used to be a part of. And you were like, man, I thought we fit here, but we didn't. Or for some of you, man, those feelings of rejection, of being on the outside, maybe they go a lot deeper. And maybe for some of you, man, it's, it's the reality of being abandoned or rejected by your own parents or your own family. And for some of you, maybe it goes as deep as feeling the pain of separation of divorce, I think all of us at some point, maybe a moment in life, maybe a season of life, we've endured what it feels like to be unwelcome, to be left as an outsider. And so today we're kicking off a brand new series called Welcomed In, where over the next four weeks together, we're going to look at what I believe is some of the most powerful words in all of scripture that actually tell us this, that all of us have been invited to be welcomed in. That despite whatever season or moment of life you may have been through, where the world or somebody from the world left you on the outside or left you feeling unwelcome, that God, the sovereign God, creator of the universe, looks at you and he goes, Hey, my son, my daughter, you are welcomed in. So today I want you to open with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is going to be about halfway through your New Testament, the back half of your Bible. Love for you just to open that so that you can track along with where we're going to be. Um, if you don't have a copy of Scripture, then we'll put those verses behind me on the screen. But Ephesians 2 is actually where we're going to be for the entirety of this series over the next four weeks together, so we're going to dig deep in it during this time. Ephesians, if you're familiar with it, is a letter written to a group of believers, a group of Christians in a place called Ephesus, and it's written by a guy by the name of Paul. Now, most scholars, most commentators believe that Paul wrote Ephesians sitting on the floor of a jail cell. So we kind of picture where the author is sitting, yet in this moment of kind of darkness where he sits writing, he writes some of the most hope-filled, truth-filled words in all of Scripture. And I hope that you'll kind of see that over these next few weeks together. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, kind of warn you from the beginning today, especially if you're kind of new to our house, maybe new to my teaching, I'm just going to tell you the beginning of today's message is going to present a pretty dim reality, okay? It's going to be pretty dark and dim, but listen to me. Don't check out on me, okay? Don't get mad. Don't get uptight. All right, don't leave because it's going to take a dramatic turn, all right, during our time today, of so much hope and so much truth, and I don't want you to miss it, all right? So let's go, Ephesians chapter two, as we begin the series today, we're gonna start in verse one, and here's what Paul writes. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, let's park right there. Paul starts verse one by giving kind of this identity that every human that's ever lived, including you and me, that all of us have ever had. Our identity is that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, Paul says. Now, the great misunderstanding in our culture is that sin makes us bad. Is that not what we think? Like, because you did this or because they did that, it makes you worse than them or maybe make them worse than you. And so we buy into almost this ranking of sins, like who's done the worst sin that makes that person more bad. But what, what we miss in that misunderstanding is that sin doesn't make us bad. Paul actually says sin doesn't make us bad, but it's actually much worse. Sin makes us dead. Sin leaves us spiritually dead, separated from God, and unable to have a relationship with our own creator. Um, the Christian thinker and writer Warren Wiersbe said it this way. You'll see this quote. He said, the unbeliever is not sick, but he is dead. He does not need resuscitation, but he needs resurrection. All lost sinners are dead, and the only difference between one sinner and another is the state of decay. When it's such a deep truth, in other words, Scripture kind of tells us today that it completely contradicts the words of the modern day thinker, Luke Bryan, who would sing, most people are good, all right? And Paul says, no, Luke, most people aren't actually good, but actually all people are dead. And Scripture would say that we're dead, we read it, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, a, a word that maybe would seem similar, there's, there's differences in these two. Trespasses means that we would cross the line. We would cross the line of God's boundary, of God's authority. So we, we trespass. And then sin means that we would, we would miss a mark, that God would have a standard and that we would, we would completely miss it. So scripture says that in our trespasses and in our sins, that we are dead apart from Christ. That, that, that is our identity, okay? That's, that's the good news today. Like, we're dead. That's it. That's, that's who we are. But I want you to see, Paul goes on further, verse 2, Ephesians 2, pick up in verse 1 again. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So in verse 2, Paul's just kind of further expanding on this identity of being being dead. And he expands it to go, not only is this your identity, but this is what it looks like in you. Like when you are dead, this is the way that you can visibly see this. And he says it leads to death. So we can kind of connect these these verses here. We can connect the dots from verse one to verse two to realize that when you follow the ways of the world, is what Paul says in verse two, that it leads to death. Verse one, right? So following the ways of the world leads to death. So we could say very practically today in our life, in our culture, that the greed, the chase of more stuff leads to death. Um, Lust or following our sexual desires outside of God's intended design leads to death. Um, Chasing fame and fortune as our sole purpose and identity leads to death. Satisfying our flesh with a, a drug or a drink would lead to death. Getting lost and chasing a certain image or acceptance with a group or a person would, would lead to death. Um, finding your identity, even in the pursuit of a perfect family, right? In the perfect house, in the perfect neighborhood, with the perfect kids, who all make perfect grades. Like okay, if we're not careful, that could lead us to a place of, of death. And then he says even that, that giving over your, to laziness, failing to take hold of the purposes, and just, just growing lazy in life would lead to death. Now hear me. That doesn't mean that you may physically die actually doing one of these acts, but what Scripture is saying is that when we follow these ways of the world, these ways of the culture, Scripture would say that it leads to death, not a physical death, but actually much worse, a spiritual death that would be eternal and separate us eternally from God. So the ways of the world lead to death, Paul says, yet so many of us, okay, so many of us find ourselves chasing them and living our whole life around them. No, let me run with this illustration for a second. It would be like if I told you today that, like, I'm going to plant this uh, garden at my house, like, extravagant garden in my backyard, going to grow all these fresh vegetables. It's going to be great, okay? I'm going to share some of them with you. I'm going to plant some some butter beans and some squash, okay? Am I speaking anybody's language in here? Okay, everybody just Mickey D people, all right? Some butter beans, some squash, some from fresh tomatoes, all right? And so I, I tell you that it's going to be great, extravagant. So I go to the store, like, I, I go to the greenhouse. I got all these plants that are starting to grow. And I go and I just start looking at all the dead ones. And I'm like, the butterbean plant that is just like, just withered over. Like it's, I want that one. I'll take that one. And then there's the, the, the squash plant that all the leaves have fallen off. It's got no water. And I'm like, yeah, I think that, that's the one I want. Like, let's do that one. And the tomato plant, like there's one that sprouted up and then just died over. Like no water, no sunlight. They just hadn't drug it off the green room floor, greenhouse floor yet. But I'm like, that's, that's it. That's my one, okay? And I bring all of those dead plants to my house. I dig holes in my backyard, I put them in the holes, kind of pour, pour the soil back around them, and I go, look at my garden. Like, isn't this awesome? Okay, now, wh- what are you gonna say to me? Now, y'all are all really nice and you're like Jesus, so you're probably not gonna say it, all right? But what are you gonna think? Gonna go, That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, seriously, why did you say that? What a waste of your time and your money and your life. And guess what? You would be right. You would be so right. So can I ask you a question? Why do we spend so much of our time and our money and our life chasing the dead things of the world, thinking it will fully satisfy? Scripture says it only leads to death, but so many of us get caught in this rat race running after it. And Paul says it actually goes further. It doesn't just leave us dead, but it actually puts us in bondage. You read it with me a second ago in verse two, where he says you followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air and you followed the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, who's who's Paul talking about? He's talking about our our adversary, our enemy. He's talking about Satan. And he says that those people who live chasing the dead things of the world are under a reign, like there's a ruler over them and is the king ruler of the kingdom of the air, who is Satan. So today, like whether, whether you're into it or not, whether you realize it or want to acknowledge it or not, Scripture tells us like there is a real enemy, and his whole existence, okay, today, right now, 10.30 this morning, his whole existence is to pull you into believing and me into believing that the ways of the world will satisfy something in us. Like he lives to steal, to kill, to destroy, and to deceive. Like he exists for that. And so the enemy would tell us, man, there's nothing wrong with like cheating on the test. I mean, seriously, like the whole class is doing it. The enemy would, would whisper to us, man, you'll be fine to grab like a, you know, just one drink, one puff, one hit. I mean, seriously, life's been hard on you. Like you, you, you probably need it. The enemy would, would tell us like, man, there's, there's nothing wrong with flirting a little bit with that girl or that guy at the office or at the gym. Like your, your spouse is not going to know that. The enemy would would, would so easily tell us that harboring anger, man, refusing to forgive, like it's not that big a deal, like it's not gonna really affect you. Besides, they did you wrong. The the ruler of the kingdom of the air would, would speak into us and he would say, Man, there's nothing wrong with finding your identity. Man, chase those comforts. Like you worked hard, bro. You deserve that. And just so subtly and so easily, the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in the hearts of those who are being disobedient would lie and deceive. And check this out. The enemy is a master at getting us to chase the ways of the world. But don't miss this. But know this. He never, he never tells us that they always lead to dead ends. Never. He never puts that part. Like, I mean, take this road. No, no, no. No, you go that way. Like, that looks like a good one. And he never puts up the warning sign. That's a dead end. And scripture says that we get caught in that chasing the ways of the world. And I want you to hear how the message translation interprets these verses. Here's what the message translation says. Ephesians 2, um, 1 through 3, we'll read all of that. It says, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired. It's talking about you and me. We were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. This is so good. He says, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. How true is that? You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then you exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing. When we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. Scripture says, no, nope, nobody today gets to raise their hand and go, not me. No. Like he says that we've all been victim to the ruler of the air and the ways of the world. And the reality is that some of us in the room today, okay, we just got bare gut level on us. Some of us in the room today, we're still there. We're still there. That's the ruler in us. And this word disobedience that, that we read at the end of verse 2 in the NIV, the hearts of those who are disobedient, here's what it means. It's someone who, it means someone whose attitude is unwilling to comply with the standards of authority. That's what that means. And we've all been there or are there unwilling to let go of our old self. I don't know. I think I ought to keep just a little bit unwilling to trust that God's truth is better than our false understanding. All of us. Some of us are in bondage today, and here's the reality, guys. We don't even know it. Some of you are captive to the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the ways of the world, and you don't know it. Maybe God brought you here today to to pour that truth, as hard as it may be, into you. But Paul keeps going. Don't miss verse three. Check this out. He says, Ephesians 2, verse three, all of us, also lived among them at one time. There it is again, like we're all in it, all in the same boat, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul says we all lived in this place at a time, against the plans of God, doing our own thing, in a life that look at look at these words, that gratified the cravings of our flesh. Now, any lady who has ever walked through a season of pregnancy before knows the power of a craving. Amen, ladies? Okay, I've never been pregnant before, but I hear it, it's bad, okay? And, and here's what your men know in that season, okay? I've had a pregnant wife before. Here's what we know in that season, okay? We may not always understand the nature of your craving. Like, we don't always get it. But what we know is that for your sake and our own personal well-being, okay, we will get whatever it is. We will get it. Like, you want ice cream with mustard and pickles? Yes, ma'am, I am on it, okay? All right, chocolate cake with sour heads. I, how about three of them, right? I got them. I got you, babe, all right? And in that season, how many of you fellas, like, if you can think back, and maybe you just left it, like, how many of you felt like you gained as much weight as your wife, right? Okay, because, like, you can't let your baby eat cake by herself, right? You gotta be with her in that craving, do you not? See, cravings are real. Like, they're, they're the real deal. They're strong, and here's what Paul's saying in verse three. He says, when, when we live this life under the, under the power of our flesh and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ways of the world, he says that we so often and so easily give into the cravings of our flesh. We've all been in that boat. And then Paul shows us the result of giving into those cravings, of leaning into the ways of the world. Here's what he says in verse three. He says, it means that we are deserving of wrath. There's a a real punishment, in other words, that comes from chasing the cravings of our flesh, and that is the wrath of God. Now, is God full of love and mercy? Absolutely, amen. Yes, he is. Thank you, Jesus, okay? But at the same time, Scripture would say that he exercises wrath and judgment towards sin, that God hates sin. Sin. There's a real war and a real punishment that God wages towards the sin in our life. Now think with me for a second. What kind of father would God be if he didn't have wrath towards sin? I'm like, like, what, what kind of good dad would God really be if he let us his kids chase the cravings of our flesh and the ways of the world? And he just kind of set back while it all went against his design, and he was just like, I think it'll all work out. Like, like what what kind of dad would he be? Right? Here's what I know. None of us in the room, parent or not, none of us look at the other parents at the ball field or the grocery store or in your neighborhood whose kids, their their kids are just, I mean, they're heathens is what they are. They're, They're flat out evil. They're rebellious. They don't listen. They don't submit to authority. And then you watch that parent go, now, now, like it's okay. That's not who you are, little Johnny. Okay. None of us look at them and go like, you are awesome at your job. Like we need more parents like you to shape the generation of the next, okay, of our next generation. None of us do that. Why? Because what we know is that a parent loves their child, and when you love your child, part of that is a pursuit of discipline to correct what's not right in them. That's what a good parent does. And scripture says the punishment of God for our sin is that he would exercise wrath and judgment towards that. In other words, God takes sin seriously. He doesn't play with it. And, and we see this in John three thirty six. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but, but whoever rejects the son, disobedience, that disobedience will, will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. In other words, God's a good dad who disciplines his kids, who walk outside of the line of his design, who trespass, who miss the target. Or we could say it this way. God hates sin so much, but he loves you so much that he created a punishment for your sin. I'm going to say that again so you can get it. God hates sin so much, but he loves you so much that he created a punishment for your sin. He's that much for your heart. It's not that like God longs to extend wrath over his creation, over his people, but it's that he will exercise wrath towards the, the wicked, dirty sin that's in us. He loves us that much to weed it out of us. But scripture says, here's who we are. Here's what we do. We follow the cravings of our flesh, which makes us deserving of God's wrath. All right, still with me? I told you the front end was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. And so up to now, what, what have we learned? Like we've learned, what does our identity look like when we, when we follow the ruler of the air? the cravings of our flesh, the ways of the world. We've all been there. No, nobody's going like, uh-uh, not me. No, you, yes, you. And our identity in that is death. Like we're deserving of God's wrath and our identity is death. That's who we are. And I told you that there was a monumental shift gonna happen. And so I want you to look with me at verse four. Look back right here. Ephesians 2, chapter two, verse four. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. Paul starts verse 4 with one of the greatest conjunctions in all of Scripture. How many of you remember what a conjunction is from third grade English and schoolhouse rock? Anybody, schoolhouse rock in the house. Conjunction, junction, what's your... Two people. Very good. Two people. Okay, a lot of you have no idea what Schoolhouse Rock is, and your life is probably better off because of that, okay? But the song goes, conjunction, junction, what's your function? In other words, what do you do, conjunction? English teachers, help me out. Conjunction does what? It joins together two parts of a sentence. And so here in verse 4, this word, but, links together, it transitions, joins together, verses 1 through 3, with verses four through five, but check this out. It's not just like any conjunction. It's one of the greatest conjunctions because here's what happens. It literally transitions hopelessness to hope. It transitions bondage to freedom. It takes death and it transitions it to life. And in these verses, Paul says, it is because of God's great love for us. What Paul wants us to understand some 2,000 years later is that all of the good news that we just read that we're about to dive into, all of it is the work of God initiated by God. See, here's the truth today, church. Man, we give God no reason to love us. Yet in the greatness of his love, he chooses to give us great love anyway. That's, That's how good he is. Parents, think with me. How many of you remember back to when your child was a little baby? Okay, moms, don't tear up on me. But like, you remember back to when your child was a little baby? How incredibly selfish are our kids when they are little babies, all right? They they give nothing and all they do is take demand, take demand. Do they not, right? Okay, you give me my passy right now. You give me my bottle. You give me my food. And if you don't, all right, if you don't, I will scream my head off all night, if that's what it takes, all night. I will cry my eyes out till you know nothing else to do. And you'll surrender to me, right? That's what they do. And then they want us to serve them hand and foot. They contribute nothing back. Nothing. They make messes with their mouths and in their pants and they do nothing about it. Nothing to help out. Yet you love them deeply and dearly, do you not? And here's what Paul says. That picture, is just, it's just a small blip of a representation of God's great love for you and me, just a small picture. John three sixteen you know it says, "For God so loved, He so loved not just love, but it was that grand. But He so loved the world, you and me, that He gave, He initiated, He went first, His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not know." Death would not perish but have eternal life. In other words, God's great love caused him to see you in me and to see and seek the highest good in us, even though we were rebellious little kids. One of the greatest pictures of this, probably in all of Scripture, is the story of the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Many of you know the story where the youngest son, what does he do? He goes to his dad, and he's like, Dad, like it's time for me to get my inheritance. Like, give me all the change, okay? I need it. And the dad obliges, and he's like, here, son, you can have it. And what does the youngest son do, right? I mean, he takes it, and he just blows it all. On what? Cravings of the flesh, ways of the world. Does he not? So much so that he's bankrupt. He has nothing left, and the only place he finds himself is eating food with the pigs, the pigs' food, because that's all he has left. And as he sits in the mud with the pigs, in that moment, he thinks about his dad. And he somehow musters up this courage to try to go back home and walk back home with no idea. How's dad going to react? I mean, is he going to shoot? Is he going to run? Is he going to call me names? Like, what is he going to do? And perhaps the most beautiful part of the whole story is where scripture says, when the sun was still a long way off. In other words, dad was watching. The dad didn't just walk to his boy, but he ran to him. And he embraced him with the grandest of hugs. And in a moment where a father, that father had every right to condemn and every right to judge and every right to go, I told you, so what have you done? It's not what he does. No, scripture says he gives his son the greatest coat and he throws the grandest party with the greatest food because his son had come home. Church, here's the deal today. That's you and me. We're the prodigal son. And we've chased the cravings of our flesh, and we've chased the ways of the world, and we've followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And eventually it will leave you spiritually bankrupt. And there's no other place to think about or to turn but our Father, our Creator, the one who breathed life into us. And in that moment, Scripture says, when we turn, when we go, Daddy, He doesn't run backwards. He runs towards us and He embraces us. And He gives us the grandest of gifts. And He throws the greatest party." because his child has come home and our dad welcomes us in. He welcomes us in. And verse five says, God who is rich in mercy. Yes, he is. What did he do? He made us alive with Christ. When? Even when we were dead in transgressions. What a place that God invited us into his promise of life when we were dead. In other words, he didn't wait on us to get ourselves cleaned up. He didn't wait on us to meet a certain criteria or to prove our value or to prove our worth or to prove our abilities, but he invites you. He looks at you and he invites you in to life from a place of death. That's a good dad. That's a really good dad. And I love what Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, how it states it. It says, When you were dead, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God, He initiated it, His love, His grace, made you alive with Christ. And He forgave all your sins and He canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness, which stood against you and condemned us. And He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross." When you and I were dead, God welcomed us in from death. It's, just, it's, it's like this picture right here. You've all been car shopping before, right? Not just joy, right? It's, it's as if God walked onto the car lot and he searched through all the cars and he, and he found the lemon, the hoopty, right? In the back of the lot with no tires and no motor and rust inside and out. And he said, that's the one I want, and I'll pay full price for it. And he takes that car back home, and he puts a new engine and new tires and a fresh paint job, and he redoes it inside and out, and he calls it beautiful. See, that's the picture. If you're in Christ today, if you've let go of the ways of the world, if you've gone, the the cravings of my flesh do not fully satisfy, and Jesus gets lordship and leadership in my life, then God has purchased you. He pulled the lemon off the lot, and he called you beautiful. And Paul says in verse 5 of Ephesians 2, he says, this person, when this happens, they've not only been made alive, but he, he throws two more words in there. He says, they've been made alive with Christ. You can't miss that part. In other words, Jesus is the uniting force. Like Jesus is the bridge today between life and death. Jesus is the conjunction, if you will, between what happened in one through three and what we get in four through five. And it's because of what Jesus has done, the victory in verses four through five, that we have life and hope over all the things from one through three. Check this out. All right, here it is. It is through Christ that we're rescued from the ways of the world. It is it's through Christ that we find freedom from the ruler of the kingdom of the air. It is through Christ that we learn to walk in obedience and not disobedience. It's through Christ that we stop gratifying the desires and thoughts of our flesh. It's through Christ that we find pardon from the wrath of God that we all deserve. In Christ today, you can be, we are welcomed in. That's why in this spiritual house, we make a really big deal about Jesus. Like every week we go back to the cross. Every week we go back to who Christ is. Not just on Easter, but it's an every week Easter kind of thing around here. Because it's in Jesus' obedience and in His sacrifice, not one day, but every day, that we get welcomed in that we were dead and life gets given back to us. Without Jesus, our identity is dead, lost, and hopeless. That's who we are. Oh, but man, the other side of the coin, with Christ, we're resurrected and found and filled with hope. Look at how Jesus said it, John five twenty-four. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And look at this good news today, will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Jesus says real simple, like the first requirement to finding life in Christ is to acknowledge that you're dead. We all are. To acknowledge that you don't have it all together. That regardless of how successful, how knowledgeable, how wise you are, that your plans aren't always what's best. And in that surrender of trusting God that acknowledgement we find a grace-filled father who welcomes us in with his love and grace and then here's what scripture tells us look at this it tells us that when that becomes a reality like when that's true for you maybe for some of you that's brand new some of you that's happening today some of you that's decades ago when that becomes true scripture would tell us that we move from an inward obedience to jesus to an outward obedience for jesus Look at, look at what Paul writes. Paul writes this earlier in the New Testament. Romans 6, verse 4. He says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too, we too can live a new life. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Is. Paul's painting this picture. He's just saying, hey, hey, when you identify, when you leave the ways of the world, leave the cravings of your flesh, and you identify with Christ, oh man, you get resurrected just like him. In a spiritual way, you get resurrected just like Christ did in a physical way. And then he says, Paul says, one of the ways that a follower of Jesus, the new life person, one of the ways that we show that we are alive in Christ is through baptism. That baptism is this public picture that we were dead in the cravings of our flesh, the ways of the world, under the ruler of the kingdom of the air. But in in baptism, we signify that now we have a new life, a resurrected life, just as Jesus was raised from the dead. So see, that's what baptism is a picture of. When the person goes under the water, it's old life, burial of that old life, come out of the water, new life, alive in Christ, victorious over that person because of Christ in me. So baptism's this public demonstration of a personal transformation. So I mean, if, if you've come to that place, student or, or dad, single parent, mom, like if you've come to that place of realizing not who I once was, I'm new in Christ, then, then I would encourage you and scripture would command you and Jesus would demonstrate for you, then why would you not take the next step of baptism to make public what has happened in here? And we would, Represent that alive to Christ in us. Oh, yeah, and we'll be doing that in just two weeks in this room as we celebrate dead hearts who've come to life. Well, you can imagine with me for a moment that um, tragically I'm in a car wreck today that ends my life. And after 34 years on this earth, man, I take my last breath and my, my heart stops beating. And, man, I I lay there for a week dead, and, man, my family is sad when they begin to make arrangements for me, and maybe, maybe some of you make some statements about how you miss me. Maybe just a couple of you. Okay, maybe. But I'm dead for like a week in the casket, put in the ground, and then all of a sudden after just laying there for a week, my heart starts beating again. And, and my lungs begin to contract and like oxygen starts flowing through them again. And there's, there's blood in my veins. And all of a sudden the, the doors to the casket get open and it begins to move the ground above me. And I get out and like start walking around. Okay, so some of you know me kind of well. like, how, how do you think I'm going to handle that? Like kind of just play it cool, keep it on the down low, like <laughs> maybe make a Facebook post. No, no, no. No, sir. No, no. Like I'm telling everybody I see, like at least the first, okay, everybody's getting the story. I'm going viral. However, whatever that happens, I'm going viral. All right. Never been viral before. I'm going viral in that moment. I'm going to tell that story. I'm going to work it in every message I preach for the rest of my life. I trust me. Like it don't matter what we're talking about. Hey, you remember that time? Let me tell you about this moment. Right? Why? Because everything has changed. Like, it's going to change the way that I talk. Trust me, it will. It'll change the way I act, change the way I love my wife, my kids. It'll change the way I lead our church. It'll change the way I preach, the way I manage my money, how I do my job. It'll change the way I worship. Why? Because everything has changed. I was dead and gone, but now I've been welcomed into life again. Church, that's the picture today. That's the hope from Ephesians 2 that for those who are in Christ, that you have found freedom from the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You have left those ways of the world. You have released from the cravings of your flesh, thinking it will satisfy somehow. And you have been welcomed in from death to life. And that has, and it should, change everything pray together thanks again for listening to this message for more information about the exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing visit www.theexchange.cc now go be the church and give life